Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. Should you get rid of your smartphone? Well, that's the provocative question that we're going to talk about today. Is that even possible? Is it a good idea? How should we even think about technology and the way we use our phones and maybe what it's doing to us? These and many more are some of the questions that I get to have with Chris Casper, who's the founder of Techless. And I'm going to tell you about him. He's an entrepreneur. He's a leader in the creation of healthy tech. Um, as I mentioned, he's the founder of Techless, which is an innovative tech startup that created the Wise Phone a pure and simple phone for intentional people. Love that. Chris is married to his lovely wife, Sierra, who works at home raising their four beautiful daughters. Chris and Sierra have been foster parents for a handful of beautiful kids, and they live for a deeper purpose. So love all that and excited about the conversation. Thanks, Chris, for joining us today on the Impact 360 podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, well, again, there's so much I'm excited to talk about, but let's say maybe let's start with maybe why, um, why, are you doing what you're doing now? And there's probably an origin story to that. Maybe, and, and maybe some of that has to do with maybe some negative effects of technology that you've seen, but I want to let you tell your story for our audience. So why are you doing what you're doing with Techless? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's kind of two halves to this story. For me personally, cell phone use just, I mean, or technology just sucked me in. I mean, I was hitting, I don't want to tell you how many hours of screen time a day. It was terrible. 15 hours, something like that. It was horrible. <laughs> and this is, you know, looking at like computers as well. So I kind of have a personal, um, personally didn't trust myself with a lot of the tech that was handed to us. And um, I, I think that's actually not as uncommon as people would think. But then actually there was kind of this moment where we had foster kids and we had 10 and 13 year old girls and CPS dropped them off and said, hey, don't let these girls near anything that looks like a smartphone. They've done some really evil stuff with it in the past. And that's that moment as a new parent where you want to like empower them with stuff. You don't want to be this jerk Luddite that takes away everything that they want. Um, and we were kind of stuck with this conundrum of what do we trust them with and, you know, phone wise. And there was nothing on the market. So I made something. Anyways, we, we found some cool solutions that really actually helped deepen our relationship with them. And that mm -hmm. catalyst of deepening relationship is sort of what drove us to make a product that empowers our boundaries instead of the ones that tech just hands to us by default. Yeah, no, and, and I love it because it's deeply personal for you and that this opportunity, this solution, uh, this idea came from that. But maybe before we dive into that and, and what are some positive kind of results from that and kind of the vision going forward, what are what are some of the, the negative effects, I guess, that you're seeing from smartphones right now and social media and things like that what are what are you seeing as someone who's in this space studying it all the time and living in that all the time yeah i, I mean i could sit here and quote a lot of statistics i'll quote a couple <laughs> like, um, yeah, go for it. but for the most part every, well, okay so so like most people don't like their smartphones. 75% of people like resent. I mean, we did surveys. Most people want to cut back on their usage, but nobody really can. People try incremental solutions. They can't cut back. Um, these are adults, right? Um, when it comes to kids, it gets real scary real quick. Um, like the suicide rates for kids 10 to 13, they have quadrupled in the last 20 years and just direct correlation with the internet and social media and phones. I mean, there's just real 
toxic, dangerous mental health stuff going on here. The pandemic kind of uncovered it. So people understand what I'm talking about now. A couple years ago, they didn't get it. But the best way to describe it is I feel like just like fast food used to be really cool and popular. It was the hip thing. And it just made us overweight and, you know, just had this toxic effect on our bodies. We're in that same space when it comes to our mental health culturally at large right now. And people are just starting to wake up to this. So. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, what are, what are some of the things that you're seeing? I mean, obviously those trends, people have this relationship to their phone. Um, you know, I mean, let's just take something like TikTok, for example, among Gen Z. It's, I'm pretty sure the last yeah. thing I saw on that, it's the number one search engine for the next generation is TikTok, <laughs> right? I mean, just, just allow yeah. that to sink in. Um, so what are you like, unpack some of the things that you're seeing, maybe even in that. Well, okay. So just, just for fun, like I'm constantly goofing around with stuff and, um, so I actually made three or four, I made four different TikTok accounts to test the algorithm and just see how it responded. Do you know what I mean? And I'll just tell you, if I made a con conservative male uh, Bible-believing person, that TikTok account got fed sexually explicit material like intentionally. And I, and I had other TikTok accounts that were very different, you know, different ages, uh, different, I mean, even different sexual orientations. And they got fed different content that was even sometimes more wholesome than that. So there's some very interesting stuff going on there. But I think the scariest thing that I've recently discovered is if you make an, a TikTok account and geographically locate it in China, and keep in mind, TikTok is a Chinese company, the content that is fed to you if you're a kid is productive. It's like, oh, here's how you can achieve and accomplish. And here's good things you can do. And there's, there's videos of kids getting trophies and making things. And then you get to the American side of stuff and it's exactly the opposite. It's degrading. It's dance videos. It's just garbage. It's twaddle. And I think TikTok at its heart is actually, it's scary to think about the discipleship effect that China is intentionally trying to deteriorate the culture of America through this platform that they own. And they're intentionally trying to build up the culture of China through that platform. I mean, they, they, they understand what they have there. And so just when you peek behind the curtain, it gets real scary real quick. Yeah. And that's fascinating because even the algorithm. So now maybe, um, maybe some people are aware of what that is, but at a high level, and again, if you're listening to this right now, maybe doing working out, driving around, we're going to get to real practical ways and what does it look like to navigate our, our world of technology and stuff. But sometimes it's just helpful to understand, okay, what's going on and how is it shaping us um, in these ways and, and, and all of that. And so um, what are the things that, that you're seeing, I guess, maybe um, that we're seeing today in some different ways that we didn't see even three to five years ago, just with how fast culture is, is moving in some of these directions? Yeah. Yeah. So the big, the big change is people, I really do think there's an awareness now, like three to five years ago with techless, I was talking about this five years ago, three years ago, and parents were like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. Here's a smartphone for my kid. There's plenty of parents that are still giving their kids, their 12 year old kids, uh, unlocked iPhone. Um, but I think people are finally starting to be aware of some of the harms that are coming on. And so I consider there's actually a tidal wave of transformation that started with Facebook files, people cutting off Facebook accounts, but it's starting to become more and more critical towards big tech, the industry, its effect on our lives. And there's a, a demand driving for something healthier now that we've never had before. So that's the big, it's a good, that's a good transformation in my perspective. We're kind of snapping back to a healthy healthy perspective here. 
Yeah, no, and that is encouraging. And I want to talk about how not only you and your company is furthering that, but also what what habits might lead to that in a, in a minute. But maybe somebody's listening and they're like, okay, you just threw out this word algorithm. I don't, I'm not a I'm not a technology <laughs> person. I don't know what an algorithm is. What what would be? Give us the Cliff Notes version, Spark Notes on what is an algorithm and how is that effective and what does that look like to be shaped? Is it objective? Is it programmed? Like help people understand kind of what's going on when they consume social media and algorithm um, ideas. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so algorithm at the highest level is AI driven with human input to achieve specific design goals. Okay, so when you're talking, I mean, Google search is an algorithm, right? It's complicated. It's worth billions of dollars. Um, and everything that drives Facebook, all these social media sites are all algorithm driven. So this highly you know, calculated AI created model. But I think what's really important behind that question is you need to understand what is the design criteria. This is the heart of the question. What is the design criteria for success for that algorithm? And what we find largely 90 percent of the time is that our world is built or the internet is built on the attention economy so the success for algorithms most of them is how much screen time how much of this person's attention how much engagement am i getting and we need to be constantly aware of really that actually perverse incentive for our eyeballs that's behind everything that we're doing online right now yeah no that's super helpful and it hopefully it's a little illuminating and may give us pause before we just so quickly jump into things, I've even seen just trends of, you know, the whole, the chat GPT thing and the kind of the AI and people feeding it different prompts. Yeah. And it's, it's like, but it, it's not ideologically neutral. It's not worldview neutral. I mean, it'll give very different responses to parallel questions. And so it's, it's important to understand just at a base level and as a follower of Jesus and as a human that, that these things are shaping us, but they're also designed to create certain outcomes. And I think one other thing that I'd love for you to speak on is even um, there's there's bills that I think people in the Senate and the House are trying to pass or even it's like, should this mm -hmm. be like a driver's license age kind of thing? Do we need to raise the age on this? Are we going to look back one day because of what this is doing to student? Like give a little perspective, just even broadly, more culturally about some of those questions that people are now beginning to ask. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I think I think there is a bill saying that social media age under 13 is like almost a no-go for the most part because of just the exploitation occurring with those ages in the attention economy. So yeah, that's that's in discussion right now. And I can tell you some countries, I mean, back to China, they actually do have a couple things figured out. Did you know they actually made it illegal for kids under age 18 to play video games <laughs> under, you know, like basically four hours a week max on the weekend. So during the week, if you're 16 years old and you play a video game, you're breaking the law because, <laughs> and, and they can do that. They can do that in dictatorial China. But I think what's important to take away from is here's smart people at the head of a nation's country's government and they recognize that that is actually a threat to the very success of their country is that the, the digital addiction is so dangerous to them that they're passing extreme things going on here. So I think that's a cue for parents, <laughs> lawmakers, people ourselves of how toxic this stuff can be. Um, and it's worth considering. I'm not a big fan of government regulation, mm -hmm. but I do think that informed wise parents should, should be very eyes wide open when it comes to this topic. Yeah. And I've even thrown this out to students as like, Hey, what do you think about, you know, if everybody it's like, 
the, one of the big fears of not having social media, a lot of students will just self-report is, well, everybody else has it. I'll feel like I'm missing out. I'm not a part of everything. And so, but it's, but if everybody had to wait till a certain time and nobody was using it, then that they're like, I could, I could possibly see that. Where, where it's like, well, nobody should be driving under the age of 16. Maybe some people occasionally do, but if most people waited till 16, then you're like, okay, we wait till we're 16. Like, so, so I think there's some interesting cultural things that, that possibly could, could happen. But I think the main thing to take away is what you're trying to get at is, look, the smart people in the room who know the data, who know the science, who know the neuroscience, who know all of this are going, this is not good. <laughs> and so we need to limit this um, uh, in yeah. some ways. And so, so that's, that's kind of the backstory, some of the negative aspects of it. But what I want to hear more of, because as Christians, we're not just called to, you know, point out things that are, that are wrong. We're also called to create things that are good. And so that's why I'd love to hear more about the story of how you um, set out to do something different with Techless and even the Wise Phone. And, and tell us about what that is and where that came from. Yeah, so Techless, I mean, at the end of the day, here's the deal. We are hoping to, in a sense, define what healthy technology is. Like like you're aware of, so many people are starting to say something's broken here, but no one's talking about the solution. Um, and not only do we want to define it in an intellectual sense, but we actually want to build it, which is extremely ambitious, um, complicated. Building technology is not easy, um, but we're, we're just on that journey here. Um, and our hope at the end of the day is to reclaim, we're saying we want to reclaim 100 billion life hours for people to wonder, to live, to imagine, to be in relationship with God and with others. Um, and that's time that would have been dedicated towards screen time or less meaningful interactions. I love that. Uh, is that 100 billion hours? Yep, 100 billion life hours. We're calling it life hours. It's like the op- It's the antithesis of screen time is kind of what we're going for here. Yeah, so. <laughs> I love that. And I mean, I mean, Matt, that is that is such a an amazing idea. And and so what's also important is for people. I mean, culture is what you come to see as normal without having to think about it. And then good things can be normalized. Yeah. Bad things can be normalized. Problems that just seems normal. That's how it works. And yeah. worldviews assume they, they get baked into that. But then it's like, OK, well, culture, how does culture move? Well, culture largely moves by ideas, institutions and artifacts. And a lot of times mm-hmm. Christians are doing better at talking about ideas. Um, and but a lot of our institutions are very secular in worldview. But what I love about Techless and even this wise phone is this idea of, of an artifact. An artifact is like a computer. It's barbecue. It's a bottle of water. Um, it's a smartphone or it's a, you know, a football. It's an artifact that shapes you like a shovel as a tool using that a certain way shapes you. Um, and so. So what I love about that is not only is this saying, hey, there's a problem, but also we're going to be a part of offering up solutions here as an alternative. And so I can hear somebody saying like, and I want and I want you to unpack kind of specifically what the wise phone is and how it's different than a typical smartphone. Is it a dumb phone? Is it a not dumb phone? Everybody kind of uses some of those languages uh, around those kind of things. But um, but I'd love to hear you kind of talk about kind of the importance of giving an alternative um, to what currently is out there at a practical level. So, so when you say practical, are you talking like the design manifestations of the differences like between a Christian worldview and 
product design in a sense? Yeah, in a sense. Well, it's, it's, it's basically like, okay, what could be different with this piece of technology if we did yeah. it on purpose to serve these ends? That kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. And, and I mean, I just throw out there, like, if you think about tech, it either brings us closer to God or it pushes us away from God. And largely, it pushes us away from God. That's kind of the default. Kind of like money. It's like it has... P- propensity to do good in the world, but it's something that the Bible warns us a lot about. Um, so, so yeah, um, in a, in a very practical sense, I mean, we want to honor God with design in when we're building our product and, and that manifests itself in lots of different ways. I mean, down to the emojis, the emojis on your iPhone right now do not honor God's design for the world, period. Um, and you know, uh, just design assumptions, like for example, there's not an option on the market right now that you could hand to a kid and say it's porn free without locking down options. I mean, even then there's just no simple solutions. And so we kind of want to take a step back and theologically question almost everything um, and have a set of very rigid design principles that feed into practical manifestations of what our products are. And that can apply to more than just a phone. Um, But, you know, what drives us closer to real life relationships instead of to abstract meaningless digital connections um we ask questions like this all the time that that kind of gives a hint towards where where we're going with this yeah for sure and so people to listen to this probably and it's like okay well maybe i'm not addicted to my phone but how would we know if we were like i mean what might be some signs that it's like okay you know earlier you threw out that stat where 75 percent, i think of people self-reported that they are addicted to their phone how does that mm-hmm. manifest it in our as, as adults? Let's just talk about as as adults first, and then we can talk about um, students or kids. But what is that? What are some indicators that maybe I am addicted to my phone? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways you could tackle this. I think most people know, but if you kind of close your eyes for a minute and just imagine what your ideal life would be, here's what you know. I prayerfully feel conviction about how I should be living my life, and then you think about how you are living your life on a practical day to day basis. And there's probably a gap between those two and how much does technology feed into that? And for most people, it, it distracts us. It like, we have our intention, our will, what we want to do, what we feel convicted to do. And there is a gap and between that and what we're actually doing and nine times out of 10 tech is connected to that. And so there's, there's a red, you know, there's a warning sign, I guess, um, other than just your screen time statistics or your kid pulling on your shirt saying, Hey, look at me, not at your phone. I mean, that happens all the time as well. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a, that's a reminder. Maybe, uh, maybe feeling anxiety if it's outside of our presence or maybe outside of arm's reach, or maybe are we, could we even leave it for a little bit and actually not have it with us? You know, one of, one of my favorite things, um, that we do in, in a lot of ways, one of the things we do at impact 360 is we're trying to help students again, Gen Z didn't today's teenagers never asked to grow up in the first digitally native space. That's just kind of the world they inherited. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people kind of, you know, pick on them for that reason. It's like, well, look, they didn't ask for this, but we get to work with a lot of students. And so we try to design our programming here at impact 360 in ways that whether it's our summers or our fellows, but I was just having a, having, having lunch with a student today where we were talking about, he was like, you know, my life is so much better when I'm, when I'm not on my phone as much, because there's certain rhythms and habits we try to encourage and help them build into their lives. And there's like, Hey, my screen time went from say six hours a day, you know, last year to it was like an hour is an hour and 45 minutes, you know? And, you know, or something like that, where it's like something, but it was more intentional use. And that makes a massive 
difference when we have awareness. So if you are curious and you're listening to this and you have a smartphone, you can go in and check your screen time. You can also check your um, number of pickups, number of times you've interrupted yourself uh, that day. That's always convicting um, and (laughs) and challenging for us when we do that. But um, so those are ways to kind of think about that. But, you know, I can imagine somebody doing, saying, kind of maybe giving some pushback going, well, all this sounds great, but everything in my universe is connected to my smartphone in terms of when I order food or how I sign up for things or do all the, all those things. Right. So people are wondering maybe, is it even possible to do something different? So how would you respond to that? Yeah. Yeah. So there's this natural tension between being a Luddite, like, you know, Puritan, go live on a farm, don't use machinery (laughs) and being the most connected person in the world. And I think most of us don't want to veer to either extreme, but we do live, we lived in a connected world. So how do you navigate those tensions? And my only feedback would be critically for the first time in your life. I mean, really just dive in and critically think about where you want to be on that continuum. And I bet you 90% of people want to take steps back. And so this is the number one excuse for keeping a smartphone, um, for I have to be connected. And the truth is, is that there's some sacrifice involved with living a healthier life. I mean, there really are. So if you want to eat healthy, think about what it takes. You have to go buy food at the grocery store, or if you're going to eat at a restaurant, you're not eating fast food. You got to eat at a nicer restaurant. You got to sit down. You got to pay more money. There's a cost associated with it. There's a cost associated with living healthily. You have to wake up early and run and, you know, take a shower afterwards. It takes time and money to live out some of these things that are really, really good for us. So when people start using conveniences as an excuse, it's not end all be all. I mean, I run, I run a tech company, you know, uh, I've got 20 employees internationally, but I still use a wise phone. Um, and there are some inconveniences, but there's also some really rich benefits on the other side that I think that you're selling yourself short. If you let those things be the excuse, that is the lie of big tech selling you and keeping you hooked on the platform. And there's, there's systems you can create that kind of find a a healthier middle ground between those two. And so I'd, I'd recommend diving into those, exploring those. Yeah, and, and I think sometimes um, just because something's easier doesn't always mean it's better for us. And and yeah. I think I think that's important um, because we are a convenience people. I mean, I mean, if we're all honest, I mean, most of us don't want to make life more difficult. We want to, you know, but at the same time, it's like, is convenience the only value? Is it like, well, maybe it takes me a little longer to do something else a different way, but is it worth it in the long run? And those are some things I think maybe that people are willing to ask uh, some questions to ask for the first time. And so, so I think that's a really, really good thing. So let's just say, well, what are some of the benefits that you would see for people beginning to adopt? And maybe just from testimonials, testimonials or people that use the wise phone. And in, in a minute, I want to describe kind of what it is and if just contrast it with, with an existing smartphone, like what does it do? What doesn't it do? How does it help? But like, what are some of the things you're hearing from people who have made that switch to the wise phone or, or try to limit some of their technology in certain ways. Yeah. So, I mean, hands down, what our product is, is closer to a personal counselor as opposed to a meditation app. Like it's a, it's a fairly intensive transition for a lot of people. And so as a result, it's a higher hurdle, but at the same time, there's deep transformation in the lives of people. So consistently people that use this phone commit to using it, have release 
they have relief, they have you know a, a sense of peace, better conversations, more focus, more present, less anxiety, feelings of freedom. I mean, these are the these are the messages that come back to us, whether it's adults using it or if it's parents that have given it to their kids. Um, they just have less anxiety around the tech tension battle um, that they typically have because they're not arguing over can I have this app or the screen time thing. The boundaries are built into the device. Um, and so it is truly living out its purpose with some hard boundaries around what it can do. Um, that provides peace for people. So, no, that's 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 really helpful. And so hearing those things, what what kind of feedback have you gotten from from teenagers who have used this, whether of their own um, volition or whether or not they've been um, voluntold that they get to use it um, as opposed to a different smartphone? But what what are you hearing from students themselves? in terms of kind of the wise phone or even just kind of this adopting kind of a different countercultural mindset in some ways, like what, what kind of feedback are you getting there? Yeah. So we have a few different types of kids, teenagers that are using this. Um, some, a lot of, a lot of people that buy our phones are deeply intentional people that put their money where their mouth is. They live out some really countercultural thoughts. So those parents that give their kids the a wise phone, their kids are like, awesome, great. I have a phone. It's no big deal. They're grateful for it. They have a great relationship with their parents. So that's usually a non-issue. We have a small group of teens that are like the cool rebels, like the kids that have no FOMO and want to, it's, this is like a cultural icon for them. And they like show it to all their friends. And like, next thing you know, we sell 20 phones to their school because it's just this cool thing that the, you know, hip folks are doing. Um, and then there are some kids that are like, this is a punishment for them. <laughs> and so I, and I'll say the hardest ones are kids that are already have had a smartphone and they take a step back into a wise phone. That's the most difficult transition because they're, they're going from zero miles an hour to a thousand miles an hour for overload brain capacity back down to a hundred, which is a good pace for their age, but it's just, they were, they were used to something so much different and that's, that's a, more of a challenge. So. Yeah, no, that, that, that is not, helpful. Not, not undoable. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, but don't a, a, give your kid a smartphone first. <laughs> yeah. What it comes yeah. down to. Try to, try to, if, if you, if possible, start, start with that because there, there will be some differences yeah. as you go. Um, and so definitely, cause I've even seen, you know, just different articles show up about how Gen Z is, there's kind of a, at least, a, I mean, a small trend where there, people are going back to flip phones. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen this, but yeah. where they're like, yeah, because, because of the, the mental health issues, all of the stuff around it. Um, and yeah. it, it's becoming cool to do that. But why, why do you think a teen would do that? Like, like, you know, speaking from someone who's in the middle of this, cause in one level it's counterintuitive. They're like, are you, they would go back to a flip phone, not even a touch phone. Like what, why would they do that? Well, I, I think they're, I mean, the ones that are doing that, the ones that are going back to the flip phone or the wise phone, those are kind of the, what I call self-actualized teens. They have high degree of confidence. They, they understand even more so than their parents, what's going on in the world. And they understand the value of their own mental health. They understand the value of focus. Um, and it is kind of like a, it's a, it's a trendy thing, but it's more than that. It's like, those are the people that are going to be highly successful in 30, 40 years. Cause they're thinking very differently about this problem and it's become more obviously toxic and they're, they're starting off early. So, yeah, that's good. And so people listen to this right now, if you have younger kids, I mean, a wise phone might be a good thing. So let's, let's talk about it. And then we're going to get real practical about how to, 
maybe build, um, unpack a concept where you talk about maybe digital minimalism a little bit and maybe unpack some principles and maybe even very practical ways that we can begin applying that in our own families and our own lives. But before we get there, tell me specifically about the Wise Phone and what does it do and how is it different from, say, an iPhone or a Google phone or something like that? Yeah, so, I mean, straightforward, Wise Phone is this pure and simple phone. It looks like a normal smartphone, but it has a completely custom operating software that we built from the ground up. So it's de-Googled. Um, you know, it does a lot of basic practical things. You know, um, it has phone call, of course, messaging, clocks, calculator, camera. It has maps, and it, we also just released the music app, which has been the number one request um, for people to drag music files they have downloaded music files um, onto it so very core set of basic functional tools um, but what's more important is what it doesn't have and will never have it doesn't have social media it doesn't have anything you get addicted to or distracted by um, you know no app store um, and and then also it has a back end called the family portal where you can log in and actually see call logs message history location history um, so that's kind of High level what Wise Phone is, we sell it on our website. It's $399. It's a device. It works with any carrier. That's it in a nutshell. Pretty basic. Yeah. So can people use it? So again, it's a phone that works well like they'd use any other phone. Um, it works with yep. every other carrier. Um, has a long-lasting battery. It's got a really good camera. I mean, it's got storage. Um, you can put pictures at a practical level. How do people um, like the map thing? I'm curious about that because everybody uses their maps. So which yep how does that work yeah so we, we i mean we built everything because like we uh, you know don't really fundamentally trust google and some of their policies and their perspectives and so we built everything from the ground up so like we built the maps tool um so it's all pretty straightforward uh, <laughs> You know, it, it looks like a normal phone. I think that was the big thing is we talked to a bunch of kids and they didn't want flip phones. They didn't want a kid's phone. They wanted it to look really cool. So we spent a lot of time actually with a UX UI designer um, named Eddie Lobanovsky. He's like the number one rated guy in the world as well as a guy that worked at Apple um, to design this interface. So it, the visuals of it are just clean, simple. I mean, we built the whole thing with like two colors. It's just crazy um, and seven icons. So... No, that's awesome. Very cool appeal to it. Can you, um, does it work internationally the same way a normal phone or a normal smartphone would? All the same basic things, just practical, like texting, all that stuff work the same way? So officially, we support North America. We have sold test beta prototype phones in about 17 different countries, and we haven't had any issues yet, but I will not promise anything. So U.S. is, we're, you know, providing coverage for all major U.S. carriers at this time. Yeah, and that's building, and again, we're talking about technology, and it's building something and refining, and I'm sure all those things. So that's super helpful. My main thing was, like, people could buy yeah. this phone and trust that it's going to work, and it's going to. Yeah. Um, for what they for what they did, uh, for what they want it to do. Um and things like that. So at a practical level, uh, that's super helpful. You can go to techlist.com, techlist.com to get that um, and, and look at that and see what the, the device is, you know, the phone's beautiful, all those things, clean, elegant, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's super helpful to check out as a way to countercultural live. But before we get to the, even the phone, let's step back a little bit and even just talk about what are some of the principles at play, even if you still keep a smartphone, let's say, or 
what are ways that you couple a wise phone with other tools to kind of pull some of those functions apart that all exist on a smartphone right now, but maybe you can pull them apart and say, you know what, here's what I'm gonna do on my computer versus here's what I'm gonna do on my phone. You know, um, kind of talk a little bit about, about that, just beginning kind of, what's a way of some principles of approaching your digital life differently that, that would be helpful? Yeah, so we, we, I mean, and that kind of is our fundamental design philosophy. So we have a set of core principles. Um, I'd say the number one thing that I think drives so much of our design decisions is we want to drive people to the physical reality and up the continuum of this relational hierarchy. And so, I mean, I'll just say in a high level, Satan wants to pull us into more and more abstract realities. You know, he loves the digital world. Meta just makes him happy because it pulls us out of this world that God created and puts us into this artificial detached space. Okay. So that principle is if we have a choice between a message and a call, we're going to do a call. If we have a choice between a call and a video call, we want to push people to video call. And of course, the pinnacle is face-to-face -face interaction. So whatever you can do to drive up that continuum and minimize uh, you know, the more digital interactions and maximize in-person interactions, there's something really healthy coming out of that. So that's, that's our backbone that so much is built on. It's extremely countercultural. So. Yeah, and that's super helpful because, um, again, that is countercultural. But it's not for weird. It's like, no, I want to be, you know, more present. I want to be a healthier human being. I want to have better relationships. Um, so, so let's talk about what is this idea of digital minimalism? Um, if you were going to say, like, all right, people are listening to this right now. They're like, okay, I'm not going to raise my hand right now because maybe I am addicted to my phone, but I don't want to admit that. <laughs> but if you if you just said, do this one thing. Here's a first step for you that would begin to change some of these habits. What are those? What would you suggest for people to act on to so that way it doesn't seem super overwhelming or I don't even know where to start. What would you tell somebody to start? Yeah. Um, so can I throw out a few and then you user's yeah. choice pick one that you feel convicted about? <laughs> yeah, do it. Uh, I, I would I would pick one of these. Right. Uh, set a bedtime for your phone or all your devices. So screens are off after whatever, you know, 11 p.m. Who cares what time it is, but just set a bedtime. Or don't allow a single device in any bedrooms in your in your home, period. Or before you, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you gotta do is spend 10 minutes either outside or reading the Word of God before you look at a screen. You know, things like this actually have very powerful transformation in our life habits and they're sustainable and easy they're low-hanging fruit but they put boundaries around our tech and get us to start thinking about boundaries around our tech is and that's where I'm, I'm perpetually trying to stretch myself and increase my boundaries around my tech but these are really good starting points yeah no the, the, that is super helpful so let's so let's talk to to parents they're like okay um Maybe again, wouldn't raise my hand, but I'm, I'm one who somebody's saying like, well, we just kind of gave our kids smartphones because that's what everybody else at school and everybody else and everybody's got Google Chromebooks they're handing out um, to do all the, you know, Google Docs on everything for free, of course, and quotes um, for everybody to use all their educational software and all that. Um, but we haven't had any boundaries whatsoever. So what are some things that you might say were a family or parents, mom and dad could start with say some preteen and teenagers um, who haven't had any boundaries, like give a couple of tips and ideas there. 
Yeah, so first to frame the conversation of how just stinking dangerous that situation is, because <laughs> I think if you're, if you're already there, it may be easy to just let things lie, right? Um, it's like, ah, we've already broken the ice. I don't want to cut more restrictions. Let me throw this idea out here. So phones and some of this tech is just immensely powerful and its effect on our souls is profound. And so think about it like money. Money is immensely powerful. So if you had a 14-year-old kid and they had access, they had a million dollars in their bank account, think about how that could affect them in really dangerous ways, how it could affect their habits, their behaviors. Like there's something dangerous there. And and what would you do in that moment if you already gave him a million dollars? How would you walk that back? You know, as you listen to Dave Ramsey and thinking about wise money management, whatever that looks like, there's a whole culture around financial management. There's not a culture around technology management right now. So think about the power here. And I would just say, if you're under 17, 16 years old, an unrestricted smartphone is just a no-go. Like just, if you love your kid, lock down the phone, period. I mean, like turn off access to stuff. So there's, there's going to be a come to Jesus moment for you and the family where if you love them and you don't want them to resent your parenting, you got to have a hard conversation and set some very real boundaries. How far you go with that is up to you. So that's kind of just own it. Uh, you got to drain the bank account, put, you know, put it down to a reasonable amount, you know, $500 that a kid could manage appropriately and wisely, and it doesn't ruin their soul, but you got to put boundaries up. Um, so that's like starting point. And then, and then beyond that, I would start putting some boundaries around the devices and try to come up with physically tied spaces. Like for example, if they need Google Docs, buy a desktop computer, screw it into the desktop, and they can go to that desktop computer and access Google Docs. There's a physical boundary and a literal location they have to go to in the home to access their technology instead of just walking around in their pocket all the time. And that's just a huge, huge difference. And I live by that myself. So. Yeah. So like, so for example, for you, what does that look like for you? Obviously you run a tech company. So yeah. obviously that involves you using technology. So it, maybe peel yeah. back a little bit of the curtain. So <laughs> what are things that you have in place intentionally that maybe even make life more inconvenient or time consuming in a way that you've built in because of that? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here in my, in my home office, right. Or my office at, at work and I'm looking at seven screens. Okay. So I'm not a Luddite. <laughs> I'm pretty, we got a pretty sophisticated thing going on here. Um, but I will tell you that I have a computer that I get my work done and I don't get work done on my phone because it all of a sudden when I go home, if I have to get work done again and break that boundary, you know, the dinner time boundary at home, it's not bugging me in my pocket while I'm sitting there on the couch talking with the kids or outside. I have to say, oh, I'm clicking into work mode and I walk over to my computer and I open it up and I turn it on and I check my email. And so just that simple little difference, I have seen, you talk about inconvenience, I've seen very little loss in convenience. I'm still deeply connected. I mean, like I said, the team's international across six time zones and I'm still deeply connected, but that simple boundary of having everything on a computer has been massive. Um, and then I, and then I give some focus on the ways people can reach me. I don't do voicemail. I, I, you know, text messaging and video calls are the two ways I go. I barely do email, you know, and that's crazy, much less Slack and all these other things. So I have very, very focused places that people can connect with me and relationally work things out. So there's a little bit of insight into my world. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's helpful. And, and again, on the wise phone, you know, with, with, with messages, for example, is that, 
whether it's Android or, or Apple, all those device numbers work well seamlessly, group chats, all that kind of stuff. Does that work work the same way on a wise phone? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do text text messages is kind of my primary method. I do photo messages. I will say, uh, and this is kind of a cool residual effect when people switch to wise phone, and this includes me, is that you depend on that stuff a little less. It just ha- loses some of its power in your life. So like you, people forget their phones sometimes on like, and it's okay. It's not like this tragic thing because you're not so connected to it. So, uh, it's this weird side effect. So I use messages much less than I used to, um, text messages I use robustly, but a lot of media stuff is just decline something. So. No, that that's really helpful. Well, maybe let's also shift. Um, what will be some things, um, obviously we talked about a little bit of boundaries or maybe introducing that, uh, maybe one or two more kind of practical things here thinking about technology. And, and again, let me, let me just preface this again. It's like, if you're listening to this and we're followers of Jesus, one of the things we're called to do is not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so that applies to all areas of life, including technology. So whether or not, you know, you make certain choices or not, they need to be intentional choices if we're followers of Jesus. And so that's why digital technology, entertainment, social media, all of that stuff um, if we're followers of Jesus, needs to be a part of our discipleship. Like, what does that look like? Um, and so just as, as an operating principle. But what would be, and I know you've got some more resources on your on your website, techless.com, but just kind of keeping you know your kids safe online, are there certain other tools that you use or browsing or recommendations or accountability software are there things that you found that have been helpful and that that a family who maybe doesn't have a lot of categories maybe they're not very tech savvy it's like you know if the internet goes out of our house i'm not sure what to do with it um beyond that maybe it'll come back on i'm not sure but like how do i manage my kids technology if you know what are some things you've seen that that's helpful Hmm. yeah that's a huge question um so tech stuff comes and goes right as far as its effectiveness um, and what we would recommend and a lot of it, there's not just good solutions and you have to get very specific to specific situations. So if I was to answer that question, I think one of the largest, the, the, the way I'd answer it is the biggest thing that I would recommend is try to dive into being more intentional than you ever have been. Um, just as a broad stroke, but then uh, think about the habits and the rhythms, um, of your life and how technology feeds into that and what you can do to snap it in a little bit closer to what you would prefer to be, putting bounds around it, you know, taking on some inconvenience. Um, what what are ways that you could chip away at that as a family holistically? And I know that's not really what you're asking for, but that's that's just that's the sustainable. Like, hey, you can teach someone to fish, or you could give them a fish. Um, I could give you a couple fish right now, but it may not do you any good in five years. But if you start really diving into being intentional about your tech and thinking about habits and just incrementally, you know every six months diving into some new tech habit, that's the type of thing that's absolutely going to transform your life and set you up for success over the next decade or 20 years. So, No, that that's really helpful. And again, it, it's kind of a mindset way of life kind of question, which again, um, you know, technology and smartphones are wanting more and more of our time and attention. So we're either going to do nothing or we're going to try to do something in which I want to be intentional. Um, you know, on, on your website, you've got the Techless Manifesto. Um, you know, obviously you're passionate about this, but if you were just going to just, again, make the case for why this is so important, um, just at a human level, 
Um, what are some of the things that, that you included in that about that why of, man, it's really important that we, that we at least ask these questions and think about this. Yeah. So, so I don't talk about this very often, but since we're speaking to a Christian audience, cause I'm definitely serving the world at large, right? Believers, non-believers, I'm here to help. Right. Um, but if you look back at, I mean, the beginning of time, right? Um, the, the original technologist in the world <laughs> were these brothers, uh, Cain and Abel. Um, one invented agriculture <laughs> and the other one invented, you know, with cattle and the other one did farming. Um, and these guys, I mean, absolutely pioneers in technology and they brought their offerings before the Lord. One was rejected, one wasn't. Um, and then think about what transpired next. God put his mark um, on one and he went and he created a city. This is a massive technological innovation. The very first city in the world was created, and the purpose of that city was to fill the void in the relationship that he had with God. He wanted to live without God. I mean, it was the anti-God in a sense. He was trying to fill that hole. And I think it's important for us to recognize that technology both has capacity for good and evil but so many times and so much of what we look at right now it is the anti-god it is filling that hole in our hearts and it is not leaving room for god to do his mighty work in our lives and i think that's just the number one thing that i would keep in mind is just how this is actually set up um you know to to distract us from what really matters yeah no i think i think that's well said and i think it's really a good word uh, for everybody, but especially followers of Jesus. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't just draw attention to this. You know, um, sometimes people don't think through um, kind of how God calls people to use their gifts. But could you just share a little bit about your personal connection with kind of God's calling in, in business of technology and this space as you think about serving the Lord with this calling? Obviously, we need we need pastors. We need youth pastors. We need missionaries. We need people in, quote unquote, professional vocational ministry. But there's also this idea of innovation and business is calling and living all of our lives before the face of the Lord. Can you talk about a little bit of the importance of that, maybe that journey for you and why that because you're, you're doing something that's deeply Christian, even though most people probably go into the website initially may not even realize that. But I'd love for you to connect some of those dots for our audience. Oh, man. Yeah, I'd love to. So so this story is deeply personal. So I just to give some context, I grew up as, as a member of a fifth-generation family company. I mean, as we're talking 125 years old, most companies never make it to the third generation, less than 1%. So God's blessing has been on my family. Um, and so I had kind of had the world at my fingertips, right? And I was working there for five or six years, did some really cool cultural transformation. Um, and as I kind of was working there, I just had this moment where I realized, Hey, you know what? I could have more impact on the world than what I'm having here serving, you know, the 800 employees in this, at this family business. Um, and so this was absolutely, uh, I had a blank page moment where I could do anything. I like literally had a blank page, wrote down 20 ideas and it was just prayerful consideration for months. What should I do, God? Um, and you know, I have a master's in art. Um, and I got that because I just really love transforming culture. And if you look at what changes culture, it's the art is typically the tip of the spear, right? So whatever artists and poets create, next thing you know, the media does. And whatever the media does, next thing you know, culture and society buys into. And so there's kind of that tip of the spear thing. Well, technology is also that tip of the spear. 
and transforming culture. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'm a member of some really cool communities, faith-driven entrepreneur, Praxis. These are world-class, excellent people that are um, truly changing the world. Um, and, and I try to be extremely missional and not just the products we create, even though they're super countercultural, but also in the way that we love our employees. I mean, we've got um, a lot of Muslim people um, that uh, are totally on board working for me, that totally on board with this mission, uh, this mission. And my job is to just love them with the love of Christ um, and whatever that looks like. And so, uh, I mean, I'm happy to dive into any details of that, but this is definitely a life calling and I'd have a hard time doing anything but this. This is clearly where God wants me. Yeah. And and I think that's amazing because again, sometimes people are like, okay, how can I contribute or what does it look like to serve the Lord? Um, yes, he gives us resources. We're called to be good stewards of all those things. But he also gives us gifts and passions and talents. And then there's influence to be had and there's needs to be addressed. And it seems like in some of those ways, well, a lot of those ways that those things have converged for you in a way that's really helping a lot of people think better about technology, which, which is a really um, exciting and desperately needed um, thing in our, in our culture today. Maybe, um, maybe what's, what's one, um, as we kind of wrap up our time, I guess say one last word of encouragement to maybe uh, a mom or a dad who might be a little tired, a little weary of maybe fighting this battle day in and day out, maybe just even their own work, you know, or their own school or whatever that, that places all these demands. They're just, sometimes we can get tired and it's just, uh, it's one more thing, but maybe, maybe just kind of address and speak, speak into that a little bit. Man. Oh, there's a, there's a whole lot of directions you could go with this. Um, when it comes, to, I mean, if it comes to technology, uh, just the word of encouragement I would say is that there's there's hope. Um, God's got your back. I mean, He's seen this creation. I mean, He has used tech in a beautiful way in the past. I mean, when it comes to Noah and the Ark, um, I mean, God directed that. He collaborates with us in creating some of this stuff. And so, I oftentimes I just talk with parents, and there is this look of tiredness and also this look of desperation of there's no good options out there um, and they are discouraged they lack courage to do bold things and so my my um, hope or my encouragement to you would be hey if you're a parent if you love your kids think counterculturally this is not one of those places to let down your guard um, this has been one of those places that hey the last 15 20 years satan has largely taken the arena and run with it um, and so it is worth fighting the good fight. And in 20 years, if you do that well, here's what I would hang on to is that your kids are going to look back and say, wow, my mom and dad thought very differently about this. They were very countercultural and I didn't like it in the moment, but they're not going to resent you, which is what I think a large group of this generation growing up right now is going to resent their parents regarding how they handle technology. And I think they will see that deeper form of love coming out um, if you buckle up and just do it <laughs> and, and 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 listen to the Holy Spirit and act on conviction and be bold um, and be obedient is that your kids are really going to see it as love. Maybe not in the moment, but again, 20 years from now. Yeah, it's such a good word. Again, my guest today has been Chris Casper. He is the founder of Techlist. You can find information at techlist.com about these resources. You can find ways to purchase the Wise Phone. Uh, maybe start early and, and try to incorporate some of those habits in there. Um, and you can learn more again at techlist.com. Again, Chris, thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for the work that you're doing 
and uh, really appreciate um, you grabbing some time with us today to kind of share this and invite us into maybe a different way to think about our discipleship. It's been an honor. Thank you so much. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.